Welcome to the Love and Context Podcast, an unscripted conversation with Ben and Spencer. We're so glad that you could join us today, whether that's from your car, office, home, church, or wherever you're at. We did have a few sound quality issues with our first few episodes. Those have been resolved. So if you do notice that the sound is funny in the first couple episodes, we do apologize for that. If you want to contact us, you can email us at loveincontext at gmail.com. Also follow us on Instagram at loveincontext. All right. Welcome once again to the Love and Context podcast with Ben and Spencer. I'm Ben and that's Spencer. Are you all excited for this? I mean, I'm excited. I, I think it's kind of weird. Like, we're on a podcast and I pointed at you like they can actually see me point. I know, right? Um, So, just so you know, this episode, probably the next episode, we're going to have some more weird audio stuff. We have better equipment. Better days are coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, But we also live on a rock in the middle of Alaska, so everything takes forever to get here. Uh, so, this, this week we're going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 6. And most of the way through chapter nine. So if you haven't had a chance to read that, like the, probably check it out because uh, we're gonna we're gonna assume that you've read it and you're familiar with what's going on in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it, again, we are huge components, like huge fans of the Bible itself. So if anything you hear us say, uh, we are looking at scripture and we are trying to make sure we are staying true to that. So yeah, please please take time to read these passages for yourself. Yeah, so um, Genesis to me, I, I love this book, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so of all of Torah, and by the way, Torah is first five books of the Bible, also called books of Moses, books of the law. Uh, the the Jews call it Torah, and so I'm going to call it Torah. So, And if you come and you say the first five books of the Bible are Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, I'm going to be like, no. Yeah, I, you risked a good portion for it. All right, so we are in chapter six, and we're going to be talking about the flood. Uh, we are not going to talk about the Nephilim. Um, there's some really like cool uh, conversations about that, whether or not they were uh, just elite warriors, whether they were actually angels that came down and became mad. We, we don't know. We don't know. There's a lot of conversation about that, and I don't think it's pertinent to our conversation. Yeah, so let's get into it. The flood. The flood, the flood, the flood. Yeah. Man, people love to talk about this story. Uh, I think it's, first of all, weird that we uh, focus on this story for kids. Oh, yeah. Completely weird. Yeah. We're like, and I think it's like, ooh, the animals, woo, animals. But at the same time, like this is a story about the entire world getting destroyed. It is, right? Um, I love this. Okay, so starting in verse five, he says this. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of human heart was only evil all the time. That's how I start every kid's story. I'll tell about you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago every evil thought that could happen did happen um so there's actually a uh i think we talked about we talked about this before uh there's an actually really interesting thing in um the midrash mm-hmm. about how uh so noah they say that noah invented the um plow mm-hmm. yeah and you're like okay well why do you say that right and uh, it's like, what? Well, why is that? And then that's what actually causes the destruction of the earth, like the evil. And I said, oh, well, what causes that? So you remember, like in the Cain and Abel story, we talked about working the earth. Yeah. Going to the field. Mm-hmm. Being a restless wanderer. And then he did, like, they basically don't do anything God tries to do to keep bringing them back to the garden. Yeah. Um. So something about work is supposed to bring you back to the garden. Yeah. Right? It's supposed to connect you back to the nature of God. Just like we talked about, like childbirth connects you to who God is. Mm-hmm. Right? Your job. Um. And please... 
mm, let's stop, pause here. I am not saying the only woman's job is to have kids. That is not what I'm saying. I'm using examples. Um, God has a call on all of our lives and we're responsible to those calls. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, but there's something inherent in like childbirth connects you to God. There's something inherent in working the ground connects you to God. Yeah. And so the Midrash teaches about Noah building a plow because now farming becomes easy and you don't actually have the toil, which actually connects you to the nature of God. Mm -hmm. And if you are following along in scripture and you're like, I am not seeing that anywhere in the Bible, that's, you are correct. Yeah. I'm quoting from the Midrash, which is, um, how, how would you best say it? it's Jewish commentary? Yeah. Right. Essentially. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, like you have your NIV study Bible and you got guys talking in there and, um, uh, I was like, that's all good. I was like, this, this is kind of the exact same thing. Like yeah. you can learn some really interesting things in the Midrash. They will frequently tell stories meant to bring you to another reality of what somebody found in the text. Yeah. Right. So right now we're providing some context from outside sources and we're going to dive more to the text here in just a minute. So the, the start of this story, every inclination of the thoughts of man. Well, actually, you know, you were talking about, um, uh, the way to start off a, a, a story. Right. And I was like, it actually starts with the Nephilim right before that. So uh -huh. I was like, that's, that's definitely a way to start the kid's story. Right. Uh -huh. Right. And uh, so he looks at it. Yeah, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, "I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them." But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And we need to like we need to stop and pause on that for a second because. So when I was growing up, I was often taught this from two perspectives. Like one. God recognized that everything he did was horrible and bad. And so that's kind of like one interpretation is like, oh, it was just, it all turned to crap. So we're going to get rid of it, right? Uh, but God doesn't do that right away. He doesn't throw in the towel right away on creation. You get to verse eight and it says, but Noah found favor in the Lord. It, another way to look at that is that God waited until there was someone to take the reins once everything else was wiped out. Right. Well, and and not to get ahead of ourselves, but there's going to be a story about Abraham. You're not even acknowledging my reign pun. I did not. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> a, that is so good, and I, it went right over my head. Like, that's how good it was. Like, I didn't even catch it. Uh, uh, but the, so, let I mean, so the idea of, like, he's God is looking, right? Yeah. Because he founded Noah, right? Yeah. And you can't find something you're not looking for. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't just say, "All right, blank slate. We're wiping this all out, and I'm gonna create a new garden of Eden and put new people in it." He said, "No, my creation is still. I mean, he still has this. My creation is still worth redeeming." Mm -hmm. um, and another thing to note on this is that he didn't just like as soon as they turn from him, wipe him out. Right. Right. Yeah. My generations. Yeah. He. We're talking generations, hundreds, potentially thousands of years. Yeah. Well, and so, like I was saying uh, before, I missed your amazing pun. Mm -hmm. um, it, later in the story, there's going to be a guy named the name of Abraham, mm -hmm. right? Who is talking to God before he goes to a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, a couple, 400 years later from that, there's going to be a guy called Moses who is on top of the mountain receiving the law. Yeah. And God's going to be like, hey, these people down, down, down below are doing some sketchy stuff. Mm -hmm. 
And he's going to, beyond asking God to spare based on the numbers, he's actually going to offer to step in. Yeah. And I would position it this, or maybe just postulate this, that perhaps a lot of times what God is looking is he's looking for people who are willing to go and be self-sacrificial on behalf of others. Mm Mm-hmm. Who are willing to bear up the name correctly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, why did Noah find favor in the eyes of the Lord? We actually don't know. It's on the text. I think it is perfectly reasonable from a historical perspective to think that the flood is a real thing. Yeah. Uh, because it's not just a Christian account. Like, there's the there, Epic of Gilgamesh. There is uh, there's uh, Babylonian accounts. There's the, all over the world. All these different religions have an account of some sort of cataclysmic flood. Apparently, Alaskan natives have an account of yeah, that, too. I'm not familiar with it, but I know that they have it. Yeah, that's the extent of what I know, too. Yeah. Um, I, I, You know, if, if somebody who's listening is Alaskan native and can uh, link us a, a link to that story, we'd love it. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. Yeah. Um, so I think it's completely reasonable to think that this is a real event, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. a real event. Um, but frequently, we want to, like when the story of creation, we want to make this story a, a story of how something happened. Rather than what is God doing in the middle of it? And can we, can we pause and just address one quick thing? Sure. This this passage doesn't say if it was the whole world, if it was just the known world, if it was what, right? It doesn't say that. Correct. So if you, if you, there are, I know there are people who make the argument of, well, it was just like uh, where Israel was, greater Mediterranean area, because that was the known world at the time. And then there's people who make the argument of like, oh no, it was the whole world. It doesn't specify. Also, I wasn't there, so I don't know. Yeah. And so uh, what we're actually trying to figure out when we read the text is what is God trying to talk to us about? Mm-hmm. He's not actually trying to tell us about how he flooded the world. Yeah. He's, about, he's trying to tell us why and who God is in the middle of this. And if you start in with the wrong question, you're always going to get the wrong answer. Yeah. And sometimes, and a lot of times those details are irrelevant to the story. Uh, just to put it bluntly. Uh, I mean, there's so many times in scripture where we look at something and we're like, okay, we need to figure out this minute detail. And then when you actually back up and be the whole picture of what's going on, like that was actually irrelevant. Yeah. And had nothing to do with what God was actually trying to say to us. So we're not going to, we're not going to dive too deep into the the story itself, but I actually want to, I want to point out once again, we're going to link in, uh, Bema's, mm-hmm. Bema's discipleship, Marty Solomon. We're going to link in his uh, episode where he talks about the flood because he's got some great work on that. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to assume that you are familiar with the story. And I'm going to tell you that once again, like Genesis 1, this story is chiastic. Yeah. Uh, it is mirrored text. And the, the point of the story is in the middle of the, of the story. Yeah. Or the point of the story is in the middle of the story. So because you, you're going to go through and you're going to notice numbers. And these numbers are going to repeat. And they're going to they're gonna show up on the front end and on the back end. And you're going to look at them and, and you're going to be like, okay, well, why? Mm-hmm. And if you go into the center of the story, you're going to come up with this one spot uh, with the rains falling and all of these different things that are happening. And it says that God remembered Noah. Mm-hmm. Right? This is this is going to be the center of the chiasm. This is going to be the uh, God remembered Noah. Now, if I am Israel, right, mm-hmm. coming out of Egypt, 400 years of captivity, uh, if once again, if we're assuming Moses' scholarship, yeah. Um, regardless, Genesis was supposed to be heard in the voice of Moses. Yeah. Uh, whether or not it was actually written by Moses or his tales that he eventually penned, uh, we're not going to get into that conversation. Mm-hmm. But it's supposed to be heard in the voice of Moses. And so, where are they hearing this? Coming out of 400 years of captivity in Egypt. Yeah. Uh, theoretically, at the base of Sinai, they're hearing the story of their creation. Like, what is this story actually telling me about my God? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
right? Well, who who is this God that we're encountering? Because we've already seen him as creator. He creates us for a purpose. He is gracious to us even when we make mistakes. He's always trying to give us ways to work our way back. And then we see that we're progressively more and more evil and to the point where he's got to eventually act. Mm-hmm. He has to eventually act. He at some point has to know when to say enough. Yeah. He knew when to say enough when he was creating. And as Marty Solomon is going to say, and I'm just stealing his quote here, God also knows when to say no enough to destroy. Mm-hmm. Well, and relate that to good parenthood. Right? Like, so for me, I love my daughter dearly. That's always a good way to start this. I love my daughter dearly. <laughs> right? I love her dearly. Right? And But there's moments where it's like, okay, enough is enough. Yeah. Right? You were over at our house uh, a couple of days ago. I knew you were going to say this. real <laughs> Man, and you're trying to get her ready to go. And you're like, all right, I'm going to count to five. And I was like, dude, if he gets to five, it's all over. It is all over. And she's just like, and I was like, she has no idea. Like he is holding all the crazy camera. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but it's like, we, we, you know, we know this as parents. Yeah. Right. Like, um, we always want to have grace with our kids, but we can only let things go so far. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and I was like, and we, we tend to look at the world differently than I think God does. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I've said once again, we look at it as God's building a fence. Yeah. He's raising sons and daughters. Yeah. Right. And we miss the point of what, what earth is about. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, the interesting thing about this, we have talked about, uh, well, we actually haven't talked about it yet on the podcast, but you and I have talked about this whole cesarean basil covenant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's a fancy way of saying like old time covenant where one person is, has more authority and one person has less. Mm-hmm. And in this story, uh, if I'm looking at Noah and God, who is the creator party? Uh, God, definitely caught in this story. If you're saying Noah, then then give us a call and we'll we'll set you straight a little bit lovingly, of course. Yeah. Um. So, whose responsibility would it be to remind the greater party that hey, I'm still here, please don't destroy me? Uh, it'd be Noah's, right? Except God remembers Noah. God remembers. One of the things you have to understand about like Egyptian gods, like they didn't care about the lives of mortals. They don't care. Like your job is to appease God. I think sometimes in the church, we still live with this mentality. Yeah. Um, I was talking today. Um, I got to, I got to preach with a friend of mine. It was a great, great time. But I said today, I said, maybe sometimes we run to anger because we don't really know what it means to love. It's like something we understand. We understand anger. We don't understand love. Mm-hmm. and God is just like inviting us into this position. He says, no, no, no. I'm the God who remembers. And you're like, well, Ben, but this is in a story of mass destruction. Okay. I hear you. And we can debate that till the cows come home. I think that's a farming seg, right? Sure. It, yeah, I, don't, I mean, it is now. There's probably somebody in the Midwest who's like, yeah, go Alaska. And I was like, yeah, cows come home. Well, they're either like, yeah, go Alaska, or like, don't ever say that. And don't ever say that again. <laughs> uh, so, um, but God, God is giving us this invitation, right? Mm-hmm. To uh, to know him in a different way. Mm-hmm. Like, because the Israelites are hearing this story, and they're like, hey, you are not, or God is not who you think he is. 
he is not some God who's sitting off like just upset with you. He's a God of relationship. And he's a God that remembers. He's a God who actually gives up his right to not have to remember and chooses to remember. And so I, I, I can hear, I can hear the, the keyboards clicking away, right? And being like, well, what about, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, let's go to the end of the story, right? God makes this uh, covenant with Noah. And he says, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your wife and your sons wives, right? Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase on, in number on it. By the way, same mandate he was given originally, mm-hmm. right? Now the animals are going to do the same thing. Noah comes out, uh, all of them come out. Noah builds an altar to the Lord and sacrifices. The Lord smells the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Okay. By the way, you should hear uh, earlier in Genesis, curse of the ground because of you. Mm -hmm. Never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in numbers and fill the earth. Um, there's actually, there's actually an interesting tie in there. Yeah. Uh, if you, if you jump back to chapter six, uh, and this is where God's actually, we're picking up, picking up kind of around verse 11, where God's actually talking to Noah a little bit where he's like, where he's like, uh, I've decided to destroy all living creatures for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes. I will wipe them all out from the earth, build a boat from cypress wood. And then he goes in the definition of what the boat should look like. Um, jump ahead to verse 17. Now it says, look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood, destroy all living things that breathes. Everything on it will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. What covenant are we talking about? Like, because we often, we take this passage right here and we jump over to the um, rainbow uh-huh. in the sky. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. So what covenant is he actually talking about? I'm going to confirm my covenant with you. What covenant is he actually talking about? I'm going to confirm my covenant with you. So the the only real time we have at this point in the story, looking back, would be the covenant he has with mankind with Adam and the loving, gracious father that he is. So then this this next covenant, this is what we, we're going to call the Noahic covenant. Yeah. Because the first one would be the Adamic covenant mm-hmm. and or Evaic. I'm just going to give it to Eve. So that's probably not right. Um, so this is the Noahic covenant. And so God actually steps it up a little bit more because he says, uh, I'm not going to flood the earth again because of uh, man. Yeah. Or we're not going to destroy the earth again with water. And I'm going to put my covenant, my sign of the covenant in the sky. Yeah. It's going to re-rainbow. But specifically, he says, I'm going to put my bow in the sky. Yeah. And the interesting thing about the bow is um, the the side that is arched, it is actually it actually points at the thing that it would attack. Yeah. And so a rainbow, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, points at, points at the sky, mm-hmm. which is essentially where uh, what people from this era would have thought where, that God, where God is. Mm-hmm. You know, that's God's wrong above the sky. And so God says, I'm going to put the bow in the sky. It's going to point at me. Mm-hmm. And when I see it, I will remember. Now, th- this is crazy because God's not supposed to have to remember any of this. He doesn't keep the sign of the covenant. The vassal does that, right? He doesn't uh, remember. The vassal does that. He doesn't have to be responsible for keeping the covenant unless it's brought up. And yet God says, this is who our God is. He's the God who says, I'm going to remember. I'm going to keep the covenant. 
you're really bad at losing things. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'll put in the skies, you can't lose it. Uh, incidentally, there's a covenant that he makes with uh, uh, Abram that's also very hard to lose. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but the, like, this is who God is, right? Yeah. Like, this is who God is. And even in this story where we talked about, like, mass destruction, we're like, oh, God's destroying the heavens and the earth and, and all these things. I was like, when you actually read the story and you're, you're like, what is the story actually trying to talk to me about? Is it actually trying to talk to me about the heavens and the earth being destroyed? No. Man, that's not what it's even trying to talk to me about. It's trying to tell me who my God is mm-hmm. and how God is always going to redeem the remnant. Yeah. And let's pause for a second. Take that, take that covenant, that bow pointing in the sky. Uh, God put it there as a reminder to himself, right? So here you have God saying, I, here's a reminder to myself that I'm not going to do this again. Right? How many parents do, do that? How many good parents do that? Three. Three. Three, or three parents. Yeah. Now, how many good parents do that? Like, they... Where they're like, okay, what I did, like, I'm going to set this reminder for myself that this is how I treat my kid. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, um, I mean, you're a dad. I'm a dad. There are days where I just want to, where, like, I have to exercise a lot of patience. Mm-hmm. Right? There are days where I have to exercise a lot of self-control. Um. Whenever we go somewhere, it could be five minutes out the door or 45 minutes to get out the door. Right. And so then you plan, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to like plan for the 45 minutes. And when it takes five minutes, you're like, I have a lot of time to kill. Mm-hmm. Right. And, or, or I'm just going to show up really early to something because that's what it is. I also do feel like my kids have the ability to take more time, like inversely proportionate to how badly I have to pee. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Like. If I have to pee a ton, they take forever. I don't have to go at all. They're like, boom, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, but, but anyways, you have God who he's reminding himself that he's not going to do this again. And he's putting that reminder out there for us that he's not going to do this again. It's a two-way reminder, but he's taking full responsibility. Right. Right. The flood was not your fault. Yeah. It had nothing, like in, in one sense, it had nothing to do with you. Right. Right, it was God. He, it was God acting how God said He was going to act, and hang reminded Himself now that well, we're not going to do that again. Right, I think I think sometimes you have to step out. It's like so, I literally believe that the Bible is true. Mm-hmm. I also don't believe everything that talks about is literal. Mm-hmm. I just read Revelation sometime, and you'll probably agree with me. I believe that in a literary sense, that's not what the Bible is trying to tell me. Like the book is written in such a way that there's an invitation, and once again. It's not written by Western writers. It's not trying to tell us a story of how. The Jews are trying to help us understand who and why. Who are these people? Why? Why did God do this? Who is this God? Because they don't know him. And I would argue that in a lot of ways, we don't either. Because I don't know how many Christians I run into that just think God is one wrong move away from getting like, like just like pulling out the paddleboard. Right? Like, we exist in this capacity where we, God's not mad at you. He's not mad at you. Like, okay, we talked about, I talked about this today, right? And I said, uh, Jesus is God. Jesus drinks the cup of God's holy wrath. So God made flesh drinks God's cup of holy wrath. It's his wrath. 
Sounds, and he drank it. Sounds very much like a covenant he's making with himself, right? God is not mad at you. And I, I get this thing where people are like, oh, the God of the Old Testament, he's fire and he's brimstone. I was like, Jesus told us I represent the Father perfectly. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so one of the two things is, is wrong. Either you misunderstand the Old Testament or you don't understand Jesus. Mm -hmm. So neither one of those things need to be fixed. Oh, yes, completely. And and I've heard people say that when you're referring to a non-angry God in Genesis, where they jump ahead to 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Samuel, Chronicles, those books, and they're like, well, what about when God wiped these people out or wiped these people out or like all those things? I was like, okay, well, if we want to talk about that, we can. But you have to understand that in most cases, that pretty much in every case that that happened, one or two things was going on. One, there's punishment for his kids. Okay. Or he was freeing those kids. Right. One of those two things was happening. Also, when can we also say when God's anger is burning against the Israelites, like we're dealing with like 80 years of them engaging in the worship of Malek. Mm -hmm. And guys, I'm not going to talk about it on the podcast. Go look up the worship of Malek. It is horrid. Mm -hmm. It is horrid. I talked to my wife about it once and like she had nightmares mm -hmm. because it's it's that horrific of the kind of things that were happening and God in the middle of that is like patiently waiting patiently waiting and trying to bring his kids back around yeah Patient. and I was like but sometimes God has to say enough and I think the tendency in Christianity is we're like oh enough and I was like dude you don't even have patience at all like you're upset because somebody questioned your theology and you're like, they are done with me or I'm done with them. Right. Guys, yeah, that's not patience. No, that that's not even the right time to like rise up. No. And, and here's another interesting tidbit about this before we jump back to Genesis. But every time the Israelites scattered, there were non-Israelite people who came to know God. Mm-hmm. Book of Daniel, right? Book of Daniel, chapter four, at the end of it, Nebuchadnezzar, right? Conquest guy. Conquest guy. He built a statue to himself. A big one. Said, worship me. He threw people in a fiery furnace for not worshiping, right? He had multiple encounters with God, right? You want to, and he had times where he drew close to God, walked away from God, drew close to God, walked away from God. He had all those times. Okay. End of chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and worship the one and true God. So a king of a hostile, brutal, violent nation was drawn to God because Israelites were scattered. Yeah. But four of them were faithful to the call of God. Four. Four. Four of them were faithful and the most powerful man in the world came to know God. Let's let's raise the ante up a little more. Esther in Babylonian captivity, uh, becoming Persia. Right, she is faithful to where God puts her in the situation and f saves the whole remnant because she's faithful in some very questionable circumstances. Mm -hmm. She's faithful, and God uses a little bit of faithfulness in questionable circumstances to. Help heal an entire nation. Mm -hmm. Like, God is about restoration. Yeah. God is about redemption. 
And if you read the Old Testament and all you can see is conquest, you are reading it with painted glasses. Now, I want I want to be fully aware. I want to, I want to acknowledge that conquest is there. Mm-hmm. Right? It's there. Uh, God speaks into their circumstances mm-hmm. and does things in order to put his will on display. Yeah. Just because there was conquest in the Old Testament does not mean that's what God wanted. Yeah. Okay? Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying it didn't accomplish God's will. I'm saying it's not what, not necessarily what he wanted. Yeah. He puts Israel at the smack dab of the middle of the nations so that everybody would have to go through them. Okay. Now let's go back to Noah because we're, we're all, we're all over the place. Well, but the good thing is, is like both Daniel, both Esther, there's actually good tidings to Noah that mm-hmm. God is doing the same thing. Technically, he's doing the same thing with Daniel and Esther that he did with Noah. Yeah. Right. Or he's, where he's saying there's so much evil, but I'm going to wait till I find someone who is faithful. Right. And I'm going to use them. It's a reoccurring theme in the Bible. It comes over and over and over again. Yeah. Which also uh, brings up uh, for us living today. Yeah. Are you going to be a person when God's looking, are you going to be found? Yeah. And, and like, please don't hear me say, I'm not saying that you can save yourself. I'm not saying any of this things. Like, you're always saved by the redemptive work of Jesus Christ in your life and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But God's also looking for people who are like, hey, baby, you're looking for someone. I'm right here. <laughs> you can't see me. I'm raising my hand, which is pointless on the podcast because you can't see it. Mm-hmm. But I uh, envision it. Yeah. He's looking for people who are like, I'm right here and I'm ready to go. If you are looking for somebody to stand in the gap, if you're looking for someone who takes the hit for the other person, I am right here and I'm ready to go. And God goes, that's someone I can use. That's somebody who actually takes the mission and moves it forward. Taking a posture of Isaiah and saying, here I am, God, send me. Mm-hmm. You know, if my, oh, this is a little off here, but let's just talk about Isaiah for a minute. One of my favorite um, things about Isaiah, because in Christendom today, we are like, you are a worthless sinner. And you need to repent or else uh, God's judgment is going to come on you. I was like, well, first of all, the Bible says God's judgment is already on you. So it's not coming on you. It's already on you. Mm-hmm. I was like, second of all, when I read the Bible, like stories about when people encounter God, uh, they very rarely had to be convinced of their sin. Yeah. So you look at Isaiah. He says, ah, in the year the king Isaiah died, I saw the Lord uh, high and exalted seat on the throne. The train of rope filled the temple with glory. And he sees God and he goes, whoops, I shouldn't be here. Right? I mean, essentially, that's what he said. Uh-huh. He's like, I should not be here. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Now, listen to what God does say. Yeah, you're right, repent. Mm-hmm. He takes the coal. He comes over with the, the angel. He touches him. He's like, all right, now you're clean. Isaiah was fully aware of how sinful he is. So me and so and in response to that, Isaiah now they're like, who are we going to send? He's like, I'll, I'll go, send me. And then God gives him his mission. Right? It's interesting that God doesn't require him as a condition of finding forgiveness that he obeys. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So today, when we when we interact with people, because we're talking about wickedness of the world, it's getting destroyed, and all these different things that are going on here, right? And we're going to talk talk about a story uh, next about Noah. That is really sketchy. Mm-hmm. Our job is to present God. Yeah. To present Jesus. Because when people encounter the authentic Jesus, we don't need to tell them about their sin. They're fully aware. Yeah. 
The problem is most people aren't fully aware because they never encounter authentic Jesus. They never encounter the holiness, the goodness, the redemptive power, the restorative power of who Jesus is. Because the one that we give him, give them, is inadequate. We give them a God who's like, I'll forgive you if. No, no, I'll forgive you when you come to me. So here, here's a question. Uh, do we interpret Jesus through the lens of an angry God and think Jesus is fulfilling an angry God? Or do we interpret Jesus through the lens of a loving God? Hmm. Like, th- rest on that for a second. I'm going to ask it again. Do we interpret Jesus through the lens of our perception of an angry God? Or do we interpret Jesus through the lens of our perception of a loving God? Because it is key that you understand which lens you are interpreting Jesus through because it is going to change how you view it. If you are interpreting Jesus through the lens of like fulfillment of angry God judgment in the Old Testament, you vastly missed the point. Jesus came and he said, the kingdom of heaven is near, repent. Which, can I even phrase that a little bit differently? Like when you actually take the Greek, the kingdom of heaven is here and ready for you to interact with it. Come back to who you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It is not far away. It is right here. Come back to who you're supposed to be. The The word repent is shuba, right? Means come back, return. Yeah. Return to the path, right? Because here's the thing. If you are, if you are saying, if you're saying Jesus is fulfillment of who God is and you're viewing God as an angry God in the Old Testament, how you're going to live life is you're going to be an angry Christian movement throughout your life, Right. Versus if you're viewing God, if you're viewing Jesus as the fulfillment of a loving God in the Old Testament, you're going to love your neighbor. Uh Yeah, no, I'm with you 100%. And I think, I think your question, the rhetorical one, I was like, go visit some churches in America. And the answer is pretty clear. Right. Um, One of the reoccurring themes in uh, worship music right now is dead coming back to life. Uh Uh-huh. And one of the things that God has been speaking to me about is he's not just talking about the literal dead, but also the spiritually dead. Because a lot of the church in America specifically is walking around like a zombie. Mm-hmm. And it is time to come alive. I listened to a guy the other day and he made a claim. He said, young people are not walking away from God in the U.S., they're walking away from the church and we're interpreting that as them walking away from God. When I heard that, I stopped and I thought, and the point that he was making was that people want to know God. They want to know who God is. They want to know what God has for them. They want to know the redemption of Jesus Christ in their life, the work of Christ in their life. They're just not seeing it in a church. In the vast majority of churches, that is. Yeah, and that, and just so you know, we're not actually talking down about churches. We love the church. Absolutely. We love the church. We are very actively involved in our church every Sunday. We also have the um, capacity to look at what we're doing and be like, it's not right. Mm-hmm. And at times, Spencer and I have heard of the problem. Yeah. Like, we've got to get better. Like, there are several sometimes, like, stuff comes out and it is, uh, I, I, I exchange words and it's not Jesus words. <laughs> so, uh, but okay. So all these things being said, we, I love this. I'm, I've been loving all this. So, so when I look at the story of the flood, right. 
I want to look at this story as like, what do I actually learn about who God is? Because that's just going to help me understand about who God is all throughout the Old Testament and who Jesus is and what I'm supposed to be following after as I listen to the Holy Spirit, right? And what I hear in here is a God who uh, takes both sides of the covenant, who is looking for redemptive purposes. You might say that he's looking for the gold in the mud. Yeah. Right? I see a God who is just uh, really passionate about finding a way to make, bring his kids home, right? Yeah. To really like save the remnant, use the remnant to save the world. Yeah. I also just, I just see this God who is just over exuberant and he doesn't change because like after they come out of the flood, their mandate is exactly. If you haven't picked up anything in this podcast where we're coming through Torah and we're talking about the ways of God. We're trying to understand who is God in context, in love, so that when we go and walk this out, we put him on display and not ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're wondering, okay, where are we getting this idea of that God is love? Okay, let's, let's jump over First John. Like, First John talks about Jesus being love. Jesus talks about himself being God, right? So if Jesus is, if First John's calling Jesus love and Jesus calls himself God, God is love. That is the connection right there. He is a loving God. He is the embodiment of a loving God. He loves you. I'm going to say it again. He loves you. But love does not mean that he's going to let you get away with whatever you want. Right. That's not what love means. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants the best for you. But you're not. he's not going to give you everything you want. What he is going to give you is what you need, which is himself. So, and not just the New Testament either. Because in Exodus 34, there is this passage uh, where Moses asked for God to pass in front of him, right? And uh, and there's a statement, this phrase that comes out, and it's actually one of the most repeated phrases in the Bible uh, for, about the nature of God. And so it starts in verse six. It says, he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. We read that. And we hear third and fourth generation, and we missed the thousands. Mm-hmm. Thousands on thousands, abounding in love. But he will administer justice. Yeah. Because he can't leave things unsettled. Yeah. But God's main goal is going to be to bring you home. And so we're sitting around as a church and we're like, man, God is just mad at us, and God is not mad. Mm-hmm. God loves you and he wants you in a relationship with him. And he's going to do everything this side of eternity to make that happen. To make that happen. All right, guys, we, we enjoyed this one. If you have any thoughts, uh, send us a email at loveandcontext at gmail.com. Also, you can catch us on Instagram at loveandcontext. Uh, we've got some real reels going on there. And, uh, you know, fo- give us a follow. Uh, you can write us comments, complaints. Or message us, or message us directly. Yeah, or message us directly. I'm sure at some point we're going to get some bots or we're trying to get us to buy random things, so that'll be fun too. We don't buy random things. All right, God bless you.
Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and we hope that you got something out of it. Uh, if you have any questions, please contact us at loveandcontext at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and message us through there. And Instagram is loveandcontext. Again, loveandcontext at gmail.com or Instagram are the two ways to get a hold of us if you would like. Thank you once again. We really appreciate you being here. God bless.